It's good to see everybody this morning. The, uh, I kind of feel like we're coming to the end of summer, and I know it's ending sooner than, than you know, it seems like it ever has, but it's kind of exhale. You know, I've been so busy with camps and mission trips, and a uh, group went to the Creation Museum this week, and we had the Tuesday with Tyler finale this week, and a whole bunch of other stuff that I don't even know what I list. It's, it's just good just to kind of take a step back and say, you know what, let's just worship God this morning. Let's just, let's just bring praise to God this morning and set the table for the rest of our year. Bradley, thank you for leading us in our singing. You know, he, he leads these, these uh, a children's song. Bradley like apologizes for the children's song every week, I think. But, but I got to thinking about, about my kids. And now my son's favorite song is Nothing But the Blood. And so I'm raising an old man. I'm, I'm pretty sure <laughs> the, uh, that's what he'll always lead. Uh, I look around the room. Um, good to see uh, Mr. Kittle with us, Barton with us this morning. I don't know if many of you know, but Miss Joy has been placed on hospice and she's really struggling with a lot of things right now. So we need to be sure to remember our sister in that way. Um, uh, want to be sure, I know they mentioned earlier about the Jeffcoat family. So there's, just, there's still a lot of people that are hurting. Still a lot of people with a lot of struggles and they're not all physical either. Uh, there's a lot of people that's hurting in their lives. So let, let's, let's be sure that we're some of that salve this week uh, that, that brings some comfort in whatever small way we can. Um, we're going to say goodbye this week uh, to Tyler and to Meredith. And quit talking in church, Meredith, all right? I'm trying to... I'm just teasing. Tyler and Meredith have been with us all summer and they're going to be going back to Free Hardman and back to Harding because uh, once again, Tyler couldn't get into Free Hardman, so that's why he goes to Harding. The... Uh, he said he was going to count how many times I told that joke. But uh, we are having a finger food fellowship for them tonight. I hope you'll stick around and honor them in some way. Uh, it's been a great summer. Uh, on Saturday, when Shelly told Deacon to put on his Tuesday with Tyler shirt, because it would probably be the last time he'd be able to wear it, he started crying. <laughs> because, because the kids love you. And, uh, and it really has been a great, a great summer and made a great impact. And Deacon is shaking his head because I told that, and he's not happy with me right now. That's all right. Uh, good to see Spencer with us this morning. Spencer has just spent the summer with the Willow Avenue congregation in Cookville, and uh, I know did an awesome job for that great congregation over in Cookville. And uh, somewhere along, picked up a relationship. I read that on Facebook, and she's uh, that is the one on Facebook you're with, from us, right? Okay, so so be sure be sure to get. To, I mean. There's, listen, there's a lot of stuff to pray for. There's a lot of stuff to be excited about. So we're, we're thrilled to see everyone. If you have your Bibles this morning, open them up to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. We have spent most of this year uh, talking about the life of Jesus, trying to understand who is Jesus. And one of the best ways I think we can do that is by, by looking at His interaction. And we've been trying to do that, but that's a monumental task. Um, there are 52 Sundays in a year. Uh, I don't preach every one of those Sundays, but there are way more than 52 stories of the life of Jesus to pick out. So what we're trying to pick out some of the high points. And this morning, we, we, we come to, to what I think is a rather significant moment in the life of Jesus. Not, not that He's going to do anything or, or say anything that, that, that's all that spectacular, but the point that's going to be made this morning, I think, is incredibly powerful. Jesus, of course, has people that are demanding His time over and over. And we're all familiar about how they're always crossing the seas back and forth. And, and we remember that, that, that th th this is in the context of Jesus crossing the Sea of Galilee and that great storm coming up. And Jesus 
rebuking the wind and the waves. And, and, and it would seem that Jesus is just trying, just trying to get away a little bit. Just trying to, to, to pull away as, as He did in a, in a lot of different times during His ministry. But He's not going to get the luxury. Okay? Have you ever had that? Uh, you, you, you try to pull away, but you just you, they pull you back in, right? My mother says every time that, that we come to Missouri, uh, my phone just starts ringing off, off the hook. It just happens that way, right? That's how life happens. Well, he comes here to, to the shore, and Matthew is going to tell us that he's greeted by a man who is possessed by a demon. Matthew actually says there are two men who are possessed by a demon. Uh, Mark and Luke are going to focus in specifically on this one individual who is possessed by a demon. And you might have thought you have met some children that were possessed by demons before. But this is unlike anything we've ever experienced. This man is truly out of his mind, but, but he's not crazy. Because there's definitely some intelligence that is driving his actions. These individuals that, that come up to Jesus, for one, as they come up, they don't have a stitch of clothes on. Okay? So you try to picture yourself, you know, you're, you're getting off the boat, and here are these, these naked men come running up. Why? Because a demon isn't concerned about a man. Okay, a demon is not concerned about what's good for you, or about decency, or any of those things. And so he's, he's naked. This man is, or both of these men are known all throughout the land. Of course, everybody knows if there was a naked guy who ran around Savannah, everybody in town would know about him, right? There are people like that. They don't have to be naked for everybody to know about them, right? Well, everybody knew about him, and everybody knew where he was, and everybody knew where you didn't go. This guy, this guy, lived, this guy lived in the tombs down at the graveyard. That's, that's where you're going to find his home. And it's not like all the bodies are buried. The bodies are actually in the tombs. But this guy decides he's going to set up house. He's going to live there. And, and they tried to deal with him. I mean, right? If, if we have someone who's a problem in our community, right? Adam, you know you're going to call the police. And you, you guys probably get those calls all the time. So-and-so's down here and you need to come and take care of him. Well, it was the same thing 2,000 years ago, right? We, we got this, these guys down here, and they don't have a stitch of clothes on, and they're talking out of their minds, and, you know, they're, they're, we're trying to have a funeral down here, and, and they're down here setting up a camp. So come and take care of them. And so, and so the, the, whatever they called the police back then, they'd been there. And the Bible says that they, they, they couldn't even bind him. They put chains on, on these individuals and, and they, they couldn't bind them. They just break free from the chains. In some way, th these men, because of this demon possession, had, had some sort of a, a supernatural strength. And this isn't the only time that we see that. You remember? Uh, in, is it in Acts? I think it's in Acts 19. It's in 18 or 19. I, I think it's in 19 when those seven sons of Scevia, they, they decide they're going to cast out demons, right? Let me look that up. There's... An interesting thing that happens there as, as these, these men are casting out demons, because if you had a demon-possessed man, that's what you'd want to do. You'd want to get rid of it. But the Bible says that, that whenever they went in to, to this demon-possessed man, here it is, verse, uh, Acts 19 and verse 16, "...and the man in whom was the evil spirit, he leaped on them and subdued all of them and empowered them, so they fled out of that house naked and wounded." I mean, he just beat the tar out of them, right? And, and, and took their clothes away. We've got a lot of 
nudity in this morning's sermon, but for some reason, because that's where, I guess that's where demons lead us, alright? But that's what's going on here. And this man is the welcoming party. Can you imagine? When Jesus comes to town, who do we want to welcome Jesus to town? Right? We probably put little Hannah Miller up there, and she's always, I'm glad she's sitting up front because she's always got a smile on her. Some of you guys don't always have smiles on your face, but Hannah Miller always has a smile on her face. So I'm glad she's sitting up front. We might want to say, why don't you go out to greet Jesus? You know, we, we, we got some important people and, and you know, so, some dignitaries and some people who have done a lot of this community. Why, why don't you go out, you know, Lisa, a shackle for funeral home, an institution. Why don't you come out here and, and meet Jesus? Instead, we get the crazy going out to meet Jesus. We get the man with no clothes on that we've tried to arrest, who's living in, in the tombs. That's who goes out to greet Jesus. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. This demon-possessed man who goes out to meet Jesus. And if, if you have your Bibles, keep them open there to, to Luke chapter 8. Because it's interesting to me that this demon-possessed man is the one who's going to initiate the conversation. Verse 27 of Luke chapter 8. The Bible says that they sailed to the, they sailed to the country of the... I can't say it. Gesserines, which is opposite Galilee. And when he had come out into the land, he was met by a certain man from the city who was possessed with demons and who had not put any clothing on for a long time and was not living in a house but in the tombs. And seeing Jesus, he cried out and fell before him and said in a loud voice, What do I have to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. You know, probably in most of our minds, they are shaped a lot more by pop culture than they are by biblical revelation. Probably when most of us think about a demon possession, there's something more akin to, to the exorcist from the 1970s or any multiple number of remakes that have been made of that movie that no one wants to admit that they've seen or know anything about. But, but yet, it, it shapes our psyche. It, it shapes our mentality. That's not what's going on here. That's not what's going on here. This demon of these demons that inhabited this man. He was not an atheist. He, he was not someone who, who denied that God existed. He knew very well that God existed. He was very much attuned to the spiritual reality of both good and evil that was around them. He, he was not someone who, who rejected even who Jesus was. We have so many people in our world today, and, and what, what, what happens? They, they don't care about Jesus. They, who cares about the Bible? Who cares about what the Bible says? That's not who this was. This was someone that when Jesus came to town, was the very first one to acknowledge, you're the Son of God. You are the Son of God. You are the Son of the Most High God. And I realize that if you want to, you could torment me. You could do things to me that, 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 that I don't want to happen. Here was a demon who believed in the, in the existence of a place of torment. There's so many people today under the guise of religion who, who dismiss God and Jesus, who dismiss His authority, who dismiss the idea of torment. Friends, even the demons 
Even the demons believe and shudder. Not a solitary case in the pages of the New Testament of someone who was possessed by a demon ever daring to blaspheme God. Demons did not did not hurl out insults against Jesus or against His Father. That's not who they were because they knew who He was. They're standing before God. They're standing before deity. And there's this verse that Bob read for us this morning and we get in to talk about the relationship between faith and works in James chapter 2. But one of the examples that he gives... Of, of, how, of how we need more than belief, he says, look at the demons. You, you believe in Jesus? You give assent that this is the Son of God? Congratulations. You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. They shudder in the presence of Jesus. In the presence of God. Understanding who they were and understanding who He was. They were standing before God Himself. You remember when the nation of Israel stood there at Mount Sinai and God was delivering the law and the people said, don't say another word. And this is a side of God that we get uncomfortable with, but this is a very real side of God. Don't say another word. Speak it through Moses because they were terrified. They were terrified. And you can read at the ending of Hebrews, he talks about that new relationship that we have that's different. And I understand that, but we're still coming before God. He's the most righteous man when he stands before God. He's still a pile of rags. We're standing before the Creator of the universe. When was the last time that we shuddered before God? When was the last time that we just stood in awe of who God was? Sometimes we get so busy taking apart His Word and dissecting it and understanding it. Sometimes we we get so busy making the application in our lives that that we we lose the ability just to step back and to say, Who am I? Who am I to stand before this God? To marvel at who He is. That's what this demon was doing as he stood before God. Why was he trembling? Why was he shuddering? Why was he begging? Well, because he was a demon. Right? Right? I mean, listen, I'm not just terrified. I'm not shaking in my boots when I think about God. But I'm not a demon. I'm not someone who's, who's living in an open re- rebellion to God, but He was. And friends, we need to understand that, that when we find ourselves in, in those places of life where those evil spirits seem to be ruling our life, there's something to be fearful of. There's something that we ought to be scared of. The Hebrew writer put it like this in Hebrews chapter 10, He said, if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of truth, then there remains no longer a sacrifice for sin, but a certain terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. 
In verse 31, he says, It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Why? Because of sin. You, you, you want to see the limits of grace? Here it is. Whenever, whenever one looks at the will of God and says, I see the will of God and I don't care, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to act the way I want to act. I'm going to teach what I want to teach. I'm going to be what I want to be. And, 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 I'm, and all, everything that he says is immaterial. He says, grace doesn't cover that. That's the limit of grace. Willful sin. When we find ourselves in that situation, and that's where the demon was, right? He knows who Jesus is. He knows who God is. But yet, but yet he's still sinning. He's still rebelling. He's still living in that open... Now, we're not talking about the struggle, alright? We're not, we're not talking about stumbling. We're talking about someone whose life is enveloped in these things. I'm begging you. I know who you are. I know what you have the right to do. I know what you have the capability of doing. I'm begging you not to torment me. That's what this demon had to say to Jesus as he understood that he stood before God. And Jesus asked him an interesting question. Jesus says in verse 30, what is your name? What is your name? It ought to be an easy question, shouldn't it? What is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. My name is Legion. You know what? That man's name wasn't Legion. Was it? I don't know what his name was, but his name was not Legion. Legion was symbolic of the thing that was possessing and controlling his life. I would contend that many times the struggles that we face in life are because when we answer that question, what is your name? The answer is the things that have defined us or the things that we have allowed to define us. People embrace embrace an identity of rebellion. People embrace an identity of sin. And you've seen it. Most of us have experienced this to some level or another because, because that rebellion somehow is easier than, 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 than the idea of turning to walk with Christ. And some people feel like they wear a label on, on their chest or on their forehead, everywhere that they go. And it's not, all, it's not even just a label that, that, that we might put on someone else. We, we talked about that, but we're talking about a label that we put on ourselves. We identify ourselves in that way. We, we see ourselves as, as, as the party person. We see ourselves as the drunkard. We see ourselves as the adulterer. We, we see ourselves as the loser. We see ourselves as the rebel, on and on and on. You've met people who saw themselves like that. Have you not? Google any, any sin. Okay? Be careful about doing this. But here's, here's what you're going to find when you press on the image shirt, uh, on the image button. You're going to find that someone's made up a t-shirt of how proud they are, of how they, of how they are involved in this sin or that sin or this activity. Why? Because they're finding their identity in those things. Who are you? I'm just a boy that likes to go out and get drunk on Friday nights. And they revel in that. Who are you? What is your name? My name is Legion. Can I ask you this morning, what's, what's your name? How do you define yourself? How do you answer that question? And I, and I think in the context, we're not even asking about what, what, what is on your birth certificate. We're asking about what, what is it that defines you? 
What is the t-shirt that you're wearing? Can I, can I answer that question as I did a few Sunday nights ago? Simply to say, Christian. Simply to say, I'm a follower of Christ. If a man can answer the question, my name is Legion, then I can answer the question, my name is Christian. That's the reality. One of the most challenging things I'd ever heard was someone talking about learning to embrace our God-given titles. Learning to embrace those things. Listen, I am, I am the husband of Shelley Hazel. And I'm proud of that. I put that on any door, or any desk, or any piece of paper you could find. I am the father of Evie and Deacon Hazel. I am the minister at the Savannah Church of Christ. I am a servant in this... I mean, on and on. Those are titles that God gives. Those are positions that God places us in. Learn to see yourself. Learn to embrace those things. A lot of people rebel against those very simple titles, right? Embrace them. Wake up tomorrow. Ryan, wake up tomorrow. And the first thing on my mind is, I am Debbie Terry's husband. And I'm going to embrace that and I'm going to live it to the fullest. And Debbie, since you're nudging him, you wake up and say, you know, say, right? I am Brian's wife. It'll change your marriage, right? Because that's what God intended. And so Jesus asked this man the very simple question, what is your name? And then Jesus does something that we're all so very well aware of. He takes those demons. And, and I, don't, I have a lot of questions about this and about what it was exactly that, that, that they were scared of and, and how, how this was going to be better. But, but verse 31 says that, that they were entreating Him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now, I don't know why this is better. Maybe some of you can help with this. But what he did in verse 32, it says that there were a herd of swine feeding there on the mountain. And the demons begged him to permit them to enter the, to enter the swine. And he gave them permission. And the demons came out from the man, verse 33, and entered the, and entered the swine. And the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake, and they were all drowned. The demons were cast out of the man by the very power of Jesus. How can I overcome? You know, one of the questions that, that I always have when we come to demon possession is, why? Why? Why did God allow the possession of demon? And, and it wouldn't seem that we, that we see those things today, right? I mean, I, I've never seen anyone who could not be bound... I've never seen anyone like this. I was fascinated a couple months ago. There was a story on Fox News about a modern-day exorcism, and I wanted to see it, and I missed it, and I even went back and I watched it online. It was nothingness. I mean, it was, it was, it was a series of... Even the person who did the so-called exorcism was saying, well, I heard this, and I saw this, and it was reported this, and they, and they asked him, did you actually... No, I didn't see anything. It was nothing. It was headline news, but it was nothing. But those things, as far as I know, don't exist. I've never seen those in, in our modern age of everything being filmed everywhere. Never seen that. But they did in the first century. This was very real. Not a sickness, right? Mark in Mark, Mark chapter one, he talks about there were some who were ill and there were some who were sick. But but he says this is very real. The, the, and I think 
I think, I'm going to speculate here, and once again, maybe you can help with this, but it would seem that one of the reasons that this was allowed for a certain period of time is because of who was going to be there. Jesus was going to be there. And people needed to understand something about Jesus. People needed to understand that He had all power. There was nothing too great or too grand. And in a day when we feel overwhelmed, we need to be able to refer to that. Jesus came into this world, and what did He do? People followed because they saw He had power over sickness. He had power over disease. He could take that cancer that so many people are are infected with, and He can overcome those things. He did those things. He had power over material objects, as He could take just a few loaves and a few fishes and feed thousands of people. We face struggles with world hunger today. Jesus had the power to wipe that away. He did that on many occasions. Jesus showed that He could control the very elements of nature. Have you ever been scared in a storm? Have you ever been scared when the wind started to blow? I've been scared before. Jesus' disciples thought they were going to die and they thought He wasn't caring. And He got up and He rebuked the wind. I need to know that. The next time that I'm huddled in the closet with, with, my, with, with my family and with my children and we pray, I need to know that I'm praying to God who can actually do something. Jesus lived His life showing that He had power over the forces of nature themselves. He walked on water. Alright? The law of gravity. He broke it. Because He wrote it. He made it. Nobody here can walk on water? Jesus could. Jesus even brought people on certain occasions back from the dead. So why demon possession? Here's a theory. God allowed demon possession to make a point to people. That God, the God that you serve, the God that I'm calling you to come and follow, the God that I'm calling you to give your life to, and I say that He has all power, He has power even over Satan himself. Even over the demons themselves. You remember when Jesus sent out that limited commission? He sent out His disciples two by two and and they came back and they reported all the amazing things that they were doing and and all all of the amazing things that that they were doing by by the power of God. In Luke chapter 10 and verse 17, the Bible says, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in Your name. We're healing people. We're, 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 we're changing people's lives. We're feeding people. And not only that, even the demons. You read there in Mark chapter 16 that demon, the casting out of demons would be one of the signs of those who would follow Christ. We may not live in a world of demon possession today, but we do live in a world where the devil is very real. Don't we? We do live in a world where where Satan is active and temptation seems to confront us at every single corner. Whether it be of a material way, of a physical way, of a spiritual way, of an emotional way, the devil is everywhere. And I need to know that I serve a God who is powerful enough to allow me and to help me to overcome those things. I need to be reminded of what James said there in James chapter 4 when he said, if you resist the devil... He will flee from you. Do I realize that? That no matter how tight that stranglehold may appear to have on my life, 
Here was a man who was running around without a stitch of clothes on, living in graves. That's a pretty tight hold. No matter how tight that hold may be, I can walk away from Satan. I can walk away from his power because the one who is within me is greater than, 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 than the one who is within him, who is, who is within this world. I need to know that. I think that's why these things are here. Because we, we laugh at the idea, well, the devil made me do it. But I think sometimes we actually believe that. We actually believe that there is no way of escape. We actually believe that there is no way to do what is right. We actually believe that, that, that there is no good choice to be made. I know many times there are a lot of bad choices, but we can always choose to follow God. We can always choose to run away from sin. And this man, this man had that demon cast out. And you know what he was then? He was a man in full control of himself for the first time in his life. He had control of himself. I don't know the first time in his life, but the first time in a long time. He had control of himself. And the Bible says in verse 38 that the man from whom the demons had gone out was begging him that he might accompany him, that he sent him away. You changed, you changed my life. You changed everything. You, you helped me to overcome the things that I could not overcome. You helped me to be what, what, what I wanted to be so, so desperately. What I, you did that. I want to go with you. And Jesus said, you can't come with me. You can't come with me. You remember His disciples when Jesus is trying to explain to them that He's about to go back to heaven. He says, you, you can't go with me. Not yet. Here's what you can do. Here's what you can do in Luke 26 and verse 38. Return to your house and tell the great things that God has done for you. It may not be what we call the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, but that is the Great Commission. How do I do evangelism? How do I win souls to Christ? And they're going to ask a question, and I'm not going to know the answer, and this and that. And I got I got 50 reasons, right? I got 50 reasons why I can't do that. And he says, just I want you to understand. All it is is about going and telling people what God has done for you. Someone is having a difficult time. Why don't you go and tell that person about a difficult time that you had and about what God did for you? Someone is lost in sin. Why don't you go to that person and tell them about how you were lost in sin and what God did for you? Someone is struggling in their faith. Why don't you go and tell that person about a time when you were struggling in your faith and what God has done for you? You want to change the world? It all starts... Friends, if He can do it with a man who used to run around naked, living in tombs, He can do it with you and He can do it with me. God's done some great things. And every Christian in this room this morning is an incredible testament to the power and to the grace and to the mercy and to the love of our Savior. Share the message. Share the message. Don't keep it to yourself. Well, nobody wants to know. Maybe they don't, but they need to know. There was probably a time when a lot of us didn't want to know, but we needed to know. Right? Share it. Just share your heart. Share, share that experience. Share about when Jesus came to you when you were lost. And Satan 
ruled your life. Every Christian has a past and every sinner has a future in Jesus Christ. That's the message. That's the message from this man. That's the message that ought to be so from every life of every Christian. Share that message this week. Because if you don't have that story, if you can't relate to, to the story of the demoniac who was cured by Jesus on a spiritual level, why not? Is it because you've never come to Jesus? Is it because He's never come into your life? Can you, can you not tell me the story about the day that you realized you were lost in your sin? And about the day that you were baptized into Christ and all of your sins were washed away? Can you not tell me a story about a baptistry or a creek somewhere or an ocean? Can you not tell me that story? If not, then tell about August the 3rd, 2014. Can you tell me the story about a time when you came face to face with, with your own sin? We've all got it, right? And I realized, listen, I call myself a Christian. I, I can't live my life this way. Can you tell me about turning from those things? Can you tell me about, about things that, 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 that by the power of God you've determined to purge from your life and by the power of God you've decided to add to your life? Because I'm tired of having a demon rule my life. I'm tired of having Satan rule my life. He wrecks it. I want to follow the one who's going to bless it, who's going to make it everything that he wants it to be. That's the story of every Christian. But if you can't tell that story, why not? Make today your story. And do that as we stand and as we sing. Would you be free?